everyone has some sort of a closet that has become too small. A closet is no place to live, and I want to support as many people as I can in stepping out of that prison into the fullness of life that is waiting for them on the other side of that door. This is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching. Join me in listening to these coming out chronicles. Get curious about their stories and then go see what good things are waiting for you on the other side of your closet door. Harris Eddie Hill is a real unicorn of a person and I can't wait for you to meet them. There's going to be some tender stories today on sexual experiences, sexual assault. So be forewarned. And if you're up for it, come and join us and hear about Harris's unique and awesome coming out stories. And I think you'll be inspired for some of your own. Harris Eddie Hill, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Hey, Nancy. Thank you. I'm very excited and looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, you are such a colorful character, and I'm so happy that we've connected. And I can't wait to hear the coming out stories that you want to share with us today. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, So I've had to come out twice in my life. And the first time was in my teens. And I realized, well, at the time, I used the term bisexual. But I didn't know. I had no idea. I, I had no idea that all the feelings that I'd had growing up was not what everyone else felt. Mm. What do you and mean I think, feelings? Well, for example, like I even remember being in like year three at school, which is the year that you turn eight in the UK. And I remember there was a new kid. He, he was sat next to me in class. I think he got sat next to me because I was very quiet and pretty well behaved. And he was a bit of a bit of a rebel and I was sat there and we were we were drawing um something that we'd done at the weekend or a story or something and I'd drawn a lady cooking at the um at the stove in a kitchen and I'd drawn her with a cleavage (laughs) (laughs) and he was like what is that and I was like well she's got boobs and he's like why have you drawn them on I was like because ladies have boobs he's like not all of them my mum doesn't and I said yes she does (laughs) (laughs) and he was like what and I was like no he doesn't no she doesn't I said yeah she does and he came back to school the next day said you're right my mum does have boobs I never noticed and I was like (laughs) that's kind of is it weird that I noticed why did I notice and he didn't and you know it was little things like that going throughout my whole childhood and then at 14 I was at a school friend's house after school and we were watching MTV, as was the cool thing to do then, (laughs) uh, watching all the music videos and Christina Aguilera's Dirty video came on. And I was suddenly self-aware in a way that hadn't quite been before. And I almost was aware of myself watching this this music video. And I was like, oh, I think I... And I noticed sort of how I was feeling, which was like, I was quite intrigued. There was something that was like really drawing me to it, a certain aspect of it. And I said to my friend, do, do you like this video? She was like, yeah. I was like, but do you like, like it? And she said, oh, no. I was like, oh, oh, I think I must be bisexual then. She was like, 
oh, fair enough. <laughs> and it kind of began from there. I don't use that term now. I'm pansexual something, something. Um, how, how would you distinguish those two? Bi and pan. Um, I think for some people there isn't, like there's such an overlap that it doesn't matter. But I think for me at the time, bisexual felt you know I didn't know about gender identity or any of these other things so I thought well it seems I like men and women so that word fits fine for me and then I think as time went on throughout my 20s and particularly when I then realized about my gender identity I realized that pan was better because pan for me really encapsulated this idea that I literally couldn't give a flying rats but (laughs) about somebody's gender identity or how they choose to dress or present themselves and stuff I realized that it was just a complete like it's strange to me that people have preferences I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it or that they shouldn't have preferences it was just a concept that I just could not understand at all Mm -hmm. and I felt that pan there was nothing there's nothing wrong with the the term bisexual um but for me it was much more um, passionately represented how I felt. Hmm. More expansive. Yeah, possibly. Although, you know, that's not to say that people who are bisexual don't also feel exactly the same way that I do. And I think this is where the nuance of labels comes in. I think it's it's what feels right and for what reasons you choose something. Mm -hmm. Um, And not being caught and only being under one label or in one way yeah exactly and yeah so it, but it took me a lot of years to get to that and uh so I told that friend while we were watching MTV and I just sort of started telling people oh I've just worked this out and I did I did get bullied at school for it but because I was tall I always knew that it wouldn't ever actually come to anything. I mean, I was five foot 11 by the time I was 11. So mm. I didn't ever really feel in, in any real physical danger. You know, people did bully me and they were awful, but I knew that it would only ever go so far. So I think that definitely afforded me a kind of privilege. Mm. Um, I wasn't really under threat. And I didn't tell family, I think, it's, it's interesting because my kind of family culture growing up was never about talking about how you felt or talking about deep things or being very emotionally honest and stuff. So I was very much in the closet and, and there's still a bit of that culture now within the family, not, not to the same degree. And I'm sure that me being loud and proud and spamming social media with my, my <laughs> rhetoric has probably softened some people um but the time that it really came up was a a year later um I'd been at a party I was 15 and there was a girl there who was uh very well known for being queer and also she she actively pursued people and uh you know so (laughs) we're at this party she I'd, I'd had a few drinks and um <clears throat> one thing led to another and and we ended up um in bed together and 
I think at that age I was probably a bit young but also I guess I wanted to know I wanted to understand and have some kind of grounding experience and I did think about it for days afterwards I thought it was fine but actually it was too soon that was Mm. the conclusion that I came to so I think I waited about another year before I had any kind of interaction of that nature with any anyone else um but as a result of what happened at the party somebody had found out and it got back to some bullies at school Mm. what uh, the the ringleader of this particular group was the cousin of the girl who had seduced me and she was very angry and very homophobic. Um, so I got hunted at school every day for two weeks and managed to evade them. I would eat lunch underneath my best friend's desk in the classroom at lunchtime. Mm. And it was kind of a bit of a game. And um, But eventually, at the end of two weeks, it just really got to me. And I ended up crying at home. And mum said, what's the matter? And I told her. I said, I'm, I'm getting hunted at school, basically. She said, what for? And I said, well, at a party, I slept with this girl's cousin. And she's homophobic. And my mum's like, oh, well, I'm sure it's just a phase. How cliche. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did that feel for you, for her to say that? I just thought it was a silly thing to say, quite invalidating. Mm-hmm. And uh, also I was like, well... It's also a bit redundant because I've already been in a situation with somebody and now I'm getting homophobic abuse. So whether it's a phase or not is completely irrelevant. And also, by the time that somebody's told you, I I say this to parents a lot that I work with, by the time somebody's worked up the courage to tell you, they've probably really, really thought it through for probably, possibly years. Yeah. So by the time that, somebody's made that effort and had like it takes so much courage to to say that especially unless your parents have said to you from a from a very young age you you might love somebody of any gender and either way it's absolutely 100% fine with me mm-hmm. I think unless parents make it explicit there's always that worry even if they've got gay friends themselves which my parents did have mm. um it was still weird and my my dad didn't acknowledge my sexuality out loud until I was about 24 so another nearly another 10 years later uh and what did that look like when he acknowledged it out loud like how was that different than before well I had had my first serious girlfriend and I we got together when I was 23 and broke up I think about a year nearly a year and a half later And whenever we'd have problems, I would share those problems, but I would never explicitly state what we were. But it was obvious. I mean, I spent half of my week at hers and we went on holiday together. Um, All the things you you could do with a best gal pal, Mm -hmm. but we were like kind of half living together. Um, So it seemed daft to me. But, you know, he, he said at one point when we were having some problems, he said, oh, you, you girls and your friends. And I said, Dad, we're not friends. And he looked at me and I said, listen, if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But don't pretend to be this bloody stupid. Mm-hmm. We both know you're not. And it's, you know, just grow up. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, okay. 
and then after we broke up um I mean that in itself was a bit of a bit of a dumpster fire but dad did say it was the first time after we broke up he said um I heard what happened and and you'll be okay and it was a real effort of of empathy on his part Mm -hmm. but that was the, the first time that he'd ever kind of acknowledged it and really acknowledged it for what it was and how I felt and everything um and since then he has he has joined in or if I've said something about husband he might say or or a wife and I'm like yeah or a (laughs) wife um so yeah there have been little moments since then where he's really acknowledged it or or kind of asked asked a very tentative question here or there which has been quite sweet Mm mm-hmm um, but he's just massively anxious and doesn't know how to talk about it and he's scared so he just avoids it most of the time which I think is I don't know about you Nancy but I think that's quite common for a lot of parents of our kind of generation mm-hmm. yeah yeah it takes some time to come to terms with it and I think time does help in some ways um, mm. it can as and relationship too like I think the thought of me dating a woman was really hard for my parents. But then as they like get to know my wife, it's a little bit easier to, when it's a real person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, by the time I got to 26, that was when I made my realization about my gender. And... <laughs> I thought it was just going to be like, oh, I've come out before. It'll just be the same again. Hmm. Uh, it was nothing like that. <laughs> not not even a little bit. <laughs> I can't wait. Because, I mean, you know, I thought I finally found this um, this label of genderqueer. That's where I started. I thought, yeah, that sounds about right. And then over time, I was like, I kind of, you know, I liked genderqueer at the beginning because I felt like it encapsulated this idea of this mosaic of different gender traits or as- gendered aspects of oneself. And then over time, I realised that a lot of those things, I was just doing it because I thought I was supposed to. And then the other bits that were kind of left, I was like, well, actually, anyone can be those things. It's got nothing to do with gender. So after some exploration for probably a couple of years, I settled on the term agenda, meaning genderless. Mm. Um, I don't really know how it feels. I can't imagine. I have no concept of what. I think gender just doesn't feature in the way my brain is wired. Like gender is not a reason that I wouldn't go out with somebody. And gender is also not something I feel any connection to whatsoever. And I think on the flip side of that, if someone tries to apply woman or man to me, um, it feels terrible. <laughs> it mm-hmm. feels like being put in a straitjacket or nails on a chalkboard or something. It's like quite unpleasant, like very viscerally as well. Um, but I got referred to the gender clinic nearly four years ago, and I'm still waiting for my little bit of testosterone that I want and um, chest surgery as well so I'm hoping that with my very gentle and mild transition that I want although it may not be that way um, because I mean when is any kind of puberty ever gentle (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
but I'm hoping that with a, with a little bit of transition, I might kind of be able to somehow visually s- sit in this space where people aren't really sure either way. And maybe that will just make life a bit easier because, you know, I first came out about my gender seven years ago, but actually it's something I've had to do every week since. Mm-hmm. It was never, it was never as simple as um, sexuality. You tell somebody once and then they just, or, or, and I think as well, like, you know, I cut my hair short and, and dress, I dress in a lot of ways that are quite androgynous. So I think if people do read me as, as female, then I think a lot of the time they would assume that I wasn't necessarily straight. Right. Um, but I think in terms of like gender presentation, uh, I want to get to a place where, Firstly, I feel like me because I feel like there is this this version of me in my head. And it's not ever so different to how I look now, but it is noticeably less less feminine, not necessarily more masculine. Um But yeah, I'm I'm and also a lot of the other trans people that I've spoken to have said that the second they've started taking hormones it's like their brain is finally in the right chemical soup hmm. uh, regardless of what that looks like externally like literally I've spoken to so many people who said within days of starting their hormonal transition hmm. that they've started to feel like themselves and that's that's I think the most important part to me mm-hmm. that's incredible yeah what like tipped you off to this gender queer idea and like how what were the signs I think gender to me had always been something I tried very hard to do I tried very hard to conform and you know I would look at how other people were doing gender and think oh I I have to try a bit harder because I'm I'm not cutting it like you know um it was always an effort. It was always something that, and I don't just mean in the way that I would act or dress. I mean, in, in the emotional sense, I would try to get in this headspace that I just didn't have access to. And I was just an imposter the whole time, but because I'd never had any words, like I had a couple of dreams as a kid uh when my dreams I would be a boy and I would wake up and I didn't even even know that trans was a thing then I didn't know of the concept and yet as a child I would still ask myself am I a boy am I really a boy and to me in retrospect that blows my mind because I think how how could I ask myself that question when I didn't know that was a thing or a possibility or you know but yet it was such a deep innate question that I had even from very young so by the time I came, I was 26, I came across um, a word that I hadn't seen before. I Googled it and it led me to this entire page about gender identity and all these different definitions. And as I read it, uh, I still get chills now, but I, I went like hot in the face and suddenly I was like, oh my God, this is me. Like I knew without a shadow of a doubt. And it was like a real coming home. It was super emotional 
and then once that subsided I was like well how the hell does any of this work I have no clue (laughs) I have absolutely no clue what does this mean and you know I I started to follow different people on social media and go in groups and stuff and and watch all the conversations that were happening and try to identify where I was in these conversations and try to recognize when someone was talking if that was me as well and sometimes I read something I think oh I relate to some of that but the the rest of it doesn't seem right um so at the beginning I thought to myself well I want to change my name because I never fit into my old name it was such a traditional girl's name and I want to change my pronouns because I've always hated being called a she and I even like my even before even before I knew any of this stuff I just always I just always hated it I would see other people as women and like 100% uh, recognize that and, and admired it and thought it was wonderful but when it was applied to me I was like oh I don't like it at all um so yeah at the beginning I was like name and pronouns and I think I, I gave up wearing dresses and skirts and stuff because I was like, I, I'm only really doing this because people compliment me. Not, I don't really like it. And I look back now at all the times I would wear like mini skirts. The whole time I was wearing them, I was always like pulling the hem down to make sure it was over my butt cheek. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was always terrified. Like it was just so uncomfortable and awkward. Um. You know, and even growing up, and people say, "Well, oh, that's not ladylike." I mean, first of all, that's, that's usually used in a sexist context, so nobody should like that. But I, <laughs> I especially didn't like it. I was like, "What's that got to do with me?" I was really confused about that. Um, but yeah, and then I think it was about a year or two into this whole kind of exploration of gender, I realised that. Um, I was getting dressed one morning for a conference that I was going to in London and it didn't matter I was wearing one of my favorite outfits I was looking in the mirror like why does this look wrong and I realized that I was the wrong shape my chest was the wrong shape and just it hit me like a ton of bricks because actually I did not see that coming at all Mm. but I realized actually underneath all those years of um being like fighting to love my body because I was so shamed for so much about how I looked that actually underneath all of that when I stopped struggling and gave myself a chance to feel how I felt about my body that something completely unexpected was there Hmm. and uh yeah it was a surprise what did you find Well, like throughout my teens, even from like my early, early teens, like 13, I was mercilessly teased for being flat chested, Mm. even by my own dad. And like comments were made about my body constantly that were sexist and objectifying and would make me feel very unsafe. And added to that, I won't share all the details just uh, in case people are sensitive to this but um, I was assaulted as a, as a nine-year-old and I hadn't told anybody at that point 
so I think I was dealing with PTSD, not understanding what is um, healthy and what it, what's a good boundary. And then on top of thinking about that and being like, you know, what is, what is healthy? How are men supposed to relate to me um, and women and all of that stuff? Uh, I was then also battling this constant objectification from people that I thought I had thought were safe but who were now saying things about my body like in such a you know that it was so casual it was like they were talking about I don't know it's like they were rating a pint of beer and I was just I wasn't a real person right and so I think that was all so much to deal with. And actually, once I got out of that space, you know, underneath, I had my own feelings about my body. And, it, and you know, these, I think people often mistake dysphoria for being self-loathing. Mm. And that's the opposite for me. I actually felt that in, in healing from all of that and being very body positive, I actually didn't internalize a lot of like the fat shaming and, other standards that women are held to so often but in in loving my body for how it is now and looking after it and taking care of it and refusing to to criticize it I did realize that actually it's it's not quite what I ordered in the <laughs> um you know and and I think I feel like my puberty should have been much more in the middle and neither female nor male. Um, but not many people go through something like that. So you have to, you know, if you can't make your own right right hormones, then shop-bought is fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been doing some learning lately around reincarnation, and it's been a stretch for me at first to wrap my head around and and yet the more that I hear from thoughtful scholars and, and people that are, are sharing actual data of stories of, there's a story of this little girl that had these visions of her past life. And she tells her family that she used to be this man, Joe, and his wife was this name. And and they actually took her back to the town where she said she lived and she knew where to go and where his house was and like all these yeah. things that it's just like, what? But then as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense then of why some souls maybe feel like they're in the wrong body. Like if we can just flip flop from being a, a man named Joe in one life and then a, a little girl in the next life, like it, it makes some sense to me of this not feeling totally at home in a particular body. Does that, how does that resonate for you? I think that could be the case for some people. Uh, absolutely. However, it's much more my experience and my understanding that um, in the physical world and in this life, it's much more often the case I feel that what you're wired to be 
and you know obviously your brain is where your your mind lives and your consciousness lives and to to have a mismatch between that what's in there and then what shell you've ended up with to me is much more uh you know i would maybe put it in the same or or a similar bracket as needing glasses to see Hmm. rather than it being you know I think people consider it an existential thing because in our society it's so heavily assigned meaning and and everything um and I think a good example of seeing it in action in that way is that for those of us on the spectrum, on the autistic spectrum, we're much, we're seven times more likely to realize that we are trans or non-binary. And that to me says that so much of what we're dealing with is societal conditioning, standards, belief systems around this whole thing. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure I, I vaguely recall uh, in my work and talking to to thousands of people in my community you know, some people do uh connect strongly with past lives which is why this one might feel odd to them because they've they've kind of reincarnated as mm-hmm. another gender or in a different body or whatever um but yeah i i think i think that's definitely one way i think that these things can manifest and i would be hesitant to kind of put the entire trans non-binary experience down as one particular reason Mm, yeah um i i got into the idea of reincarnation um within the last three or four years and for me that was also kind of a bit much for my brain but (laughs) Similarly to you, though, I've, I've seen loads of stories where children and, and often it's like pre seven, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When they're when they're remembering all of these things from past life. Like there's now scores and scores of, of, of studies and, and investigations of these children who can recall all kinds of things that they've never been exposed to in this lifetime. And they can give details of things Um you know, it, it's happened enough now and, and, and many, many times we have information on, on it enough, I think, to at least consider it a strong possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, in my own exploration into this stuff a few years ago, I started listening to it just because I was bored of listening to self-development. I needed something just that I would enjoy that didn't have any particular purpose to it. And I started off with Dolores Cannon's uh, audio book, Five Lives Remembered. And she talks about how her, she and her husband regressed this woman by accident in the 60s on a US military base where uh, they had trained as hypnotists, which at the time was only ever used to help people with losing weight or giving up smoking. Hmm. They accidentally regressed her. And then this book uh, is basically the transcripts of all of these sessions with this woman and the five lives they regress her through and I was like yeah that's that's cool I I, I found it interesting I thought I don't really care if it's real or not I just enjoyed it uh 
And then I listened to another book of hers. I think the next one I listened to was Keepers of the Garden, which talked all about how she regressed this guy, this guy in his 20s. I think this was, yeah, like mid 80s or something. And it turned out that he did have many previous lives, but this was actually the first life he'd had on Earth. Which obviously to the average person is going to sound absolutely <laughs> like, you know, what have you been smoking? <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, I think similar to a lot of her work, she does constantly kind of uh, metaphorically poke her um, kind of subjects or her, her clients and not she's not around anymore but she often will test them over and over again to make sure that their story is concrete. Mm. And, and every time from everything I've ever heard of hers, she, she always gets like quite a strong reaction when, when her subjects being tested and they're like, no, why are you trying to make me remember this incorrectly? Or why are you trying to, you know, they're very, usually very, very uh, passionate about being extremely accurate with their recounting things and as this this bloke was was talking about this being his first life on earth suddenly I felt like I understand myself because broader than gender identity or sexuality or anything else uh, and also I think maybe being on the spectrum a bit I actually think humans are very weird and I still feel like I'm discovering things about them now that it's just so bizarre to me and uh, I mean, I think I think, a re you know, somebody who's a bit more sceptical and a bit more kind of uh, in the material world rather than the, the superstitious or the supernatural would say you could you could uh, put all of those feelings down to, you know, emotional loneliness as a child, so on and so forth. Which is fair enough, but I do still enjoy this idea uh, that this is my first time here and that I'm experiencing humans for the first time and uh marveling at how strange they are and, and the amazing and seemingly insignificant aspects that humans seem to cling on to for for meaning and um a sense of security mm -hmm. yeah it's so much bigger than we see right now and yeah yeah like, I think that's what I, I get from it is this, that our souls are a gender or like that it's, it's so much bigger than anything that can be encapsulated in these little boxes. And Yeah, definitely. Yeah. This episode was brought to you by Centered Life Coaching. And I've got a special new offering I'm excited to share with you. Does life feel a little bit crazy right now? There's a lot of hustle and bustle. There's a lot of noise. It's hard to hear yourself. I got you. Join me on the front porch, away from the hustle of life. Sit down, take a breath, share what's on your mind and heart. This is where you'll discover your true self. Come and hear yourself into being. You'll be astounded at what you notice. There's a link for the front porch sessions in the show notes, or you can sign up at centered.ca. I'm waiting on the front porch for you. Are you coming?
So what's, what's next or what's going on now? Like what's your, your next coming out chapter? I think now I am really, my mum said to me a little while ago, actually, she said, your thirties are often full of epiphanies and these massive realizations. And I mean, I'm 33 now. And so far there's been a lot of them. I'm a little bit tired, (laughs) but um, lots of big ones. And, you know, I think, being on your retreat earlier this year I turned up to that in a time where I was exhausted because I was working my full-time job and trying to do my own stuff my own coaching and podcasts and everything else so I was essentially working eight days worth within five days and I'd been doing that for a while and I was just in this go 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 kind of mentality and and when you said about your retreat I knew intuitively that I I should be there and that it would be good for me and it would be something I was doing for myself and I think the first evening that I was there I was still in go 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 mentality when that's the opposite of a retreat and I (laughs) you know it was part of my brain that was just like you know this is this is taking a lot of time out of your week what are you doing I was just like we're doing this for us it's important and I had to remind that part of my brain that taking a rest is actually really good for for thinking and processing and having good ideas and stuff I eventually tamed the mind down and something that came out of that which I've said this to you already um was that I realized that and I I will repeat it verbatim (laughs) (laughs) I realized that I was polishing turds and in English I don't know if you have that phrase in in Canada but here it's this idea that you think that if you keep polishing it over and over again it won't be shit anymore but it's still (laughs) but it's still shit Mm -hmm. and I realized I was like oh I've been doing this for a while so since your retreat I I left my full-time job um I and I also managed to do that in a way that I that would have I would have been completely triggered. And um, I mean that literally, like I'm, I'm recovering from complex PTSD. Um, that would have left me usually in a, in a really bad state and I wouldn't have coped with it well. But I kept my nerve throughout the whole process. It was mm. it was a very long process with the company. There's a lot of negotiation that went on. Um you know, I had to kind of bring people back to these are my legal rights and this is what I'm entitled to. Therefore, I will be taking this. Hmm. And it was such an empowered and assertive thing for me to do. There was no upset. I was like, this is just, this is what we're doing. And I worked for the same company 10 years before and had a terrible, terrible time when I was there and, and got treated really badly. So for me, this time around, because I came back to the country just over a year ago and working for this company again, I kept asking myself, like, what's the spiritual reason? Why am I back here? And actually, <laughs> it's only after I went through it and had such a terrible time that I realised that uh, I came back to rewrite the ending. Hmm. blimey that was it was it was (laughs) it was a long time coming I was there for over a year 
so for me to get to that part so yeah anyway so but you did it you rewrote it in an empowered way yeah and I never thought I could do that so that's so awesome yeah I'm pleased and I'm so much happier literally the, the the day after I left that job I smiled all day and I forgot that you might smile all day for the sake of it hmm. like I literally forgot what it was to just be happy for no reason um so that was really powerful and, and at the moment I'm really uh actualizing and realizing myself in in like the most adult way I possibly ever could and uh you know since the retreat I've, I've thought about so much since then and um as as you already know uh I go out for walks every night in the dark I have a cup of tea and a podcast or something uh on my headphones and I'm having so many realizations at the moment and and one of them that I had that I really do attribute to your retreat Nancy is I've started to realize all the stories that I've been living and what I mean is you know for example in my family uh we've grown up with dad being the breadwinner and and he's bless him he, he's done such a good job but he, you know he, he's he plays his story he, he's the martyr and uh he's really slogged his, his whole life and his whole guts out you know to do all this stuff and there was part of me that felt really like I can't realize my own business or my own potential because that's not my job that's my dad's job but now I'm in my 30s that seems mm really ridiculous um and irrelevant you know like the, the poor guy he, he's he's desperate to retire <laughs> not that I'm taking anything from him uh, other than cramping his style a bit being at home for a while um but it's really I've just I've just started to really realize all these different things and all these things that were keeping me back and before I came back to the country I traveled for over a year a year and a bit and in that time I really disconnected from my history here and to suddenly be anon anonymous in for the first time in my life nobody knew who I was um I remember I was cutting somebody's hair in the garden of the hostel that I ended up managing and people said to me oh do you actually know how to cut hair then and I had a hair and makeup business for years <laughs> and it was what I was known for in my circles and you know, I was really good at it and I got invited to work abroad and, and at conferences and I had international clients who would come every time they came back to the country, they would come and see me for a haircut. Hmm. So for this stranger in this hostel in Australia to be like, oh, do you actually know how to cut, cut hair then? My <laughs> ego was like, don't you know who I am? <laughs> Obviously, I, I didn't say that out loud. And I just had this moment of realisation like, oh, I'm anonymous. And suddenly it was, it was a little bit of a blow for a moment. And then I got really excited. And it's reintroduced this idea to me, like in a really solid way, that we are all only us today. Everything that's come before, of course, like, you know, we can't say that to, to shirk responsibility for, you know, hurt we may have caused and so on. But generally speaking, we are only who we are today and all the stories and all the dynamics that we've been involved with before now 
is already gone and it's already done and you can literally change and do something completely different Hmm. and I think that's the power that I'm really starting to concentrate on because I think most people can relate to this idea of being stuck in a rut or um, repeating the same thing day in and day out and you're actually not that happy or you're not that excited you can't be bothered to get out of bed and actually things could be totally different if you're willing I think if you're willing to throw it out the window then you can rewrite you can do whatever you want to do it might not happen overnight but I think it can happen pretty quickly Mm -hmm. so I think this is the next part of my coming out is becoming this version that I know is in here and has been stuck underneath other people's crap for all my life and you know other people's expectations and like I was talking to a guy recently on a dating app and he said to me oh I'm glad that you're having a better week last week your voice note the swearing was a bit too strong (laughs) (laughs) I said well maybe I do swear a bit less when I'm happier but I assure you I do swear a lot so if it's not your speed then uh, that's fine but in that case we're not going to be compatible and even me five years ago would have been like oh okay sorry I'll tone I'll tone it down right so I think yeah coming into this part of your life and I've seen other people do this so I'm and I'm so grateful for that and I'm, I'm it's what gives me hope that you can become this very solid version of yourself that's quite immovable not for the sake of being stubborn or unwilling but I don't think you can thrive if you're constantly battling other people's expectations or opinions of you yeah it's like an internal consistency yes yeah so this is the next part and I and I actually wonder if this is going to be the largest ever kind of coming out for me because Mm. it requires I think if you've got something big to say and something big to offer the world, that's quite uncomfortable, for you, firstly, for you to do. And it's very uncomfortable for the people around you who are used to you and have seen the old you. And I think that will possibly, you know, from, from where I'm standing now and I'm already, everything I'm doing is go, gaining momentum. I can see that this is going to be the weirdest one and <laughs> and the one where people are like yeah I really don't know about this and uh I I I'm glad that I have friends who are excited for me because there are some who who are not or don't want to get involved and you know I've got some friends who've never listened to an episode of my podcast and they kind of avoid what I'm doing they avoid who I'm becoming so um what will be so big like what what will that huge shift look like I'm not 100% sure I'm open to it but one one little thing that tips me off is uh when I was traveling I had a boyfriend for about five months he was it was the first boyfriend I'd had in eight years because in between those times I dated only women and other non-binary people and he said to me this boyfriend said, it's nice being with you because although you're like queer and you're this, that and the other, you don't go on about it. Like you'd barely ever mention it. And I was like, 
oh dear. (laughs) (laughs) And what I heard really was like, you know, I know that you're queer, but um, you're not, you're not uh, so queer that I have to think about it or that I have to honor it or that I have to get involved in conversations or talk about this very important and lovely part of you. What I heard was you're palatable enough for a queer. <laughs> that's what I heard. And I was right. like, oh no, that's that's not gonna do at that all. Can't be. <laughs> no. And I was like, oh God, you know, other other than uh, you know, interviews and, and conversations where this is relevant, I talk about lots of other things besides uh, gender and sexuality. But the fact that somebody in my day-to-day life basically tells me, well, you never talk about it. And that's what I like about you. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's, that's a bad thing. So, I, you know, I think this, this version of me that is sort of manifesting, coming into being, like, like the, the guy who told me I swear too much, I think I'm becoming less palatable because I'm more myself. I'm not centering myself so much. And right. um, I've even started doing TikTok videos uh, which I never thought I would do. <laughs> I'm getting right out there, hey? Yeah, I think it's being you unapologetically, however you do that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's probably the biggest, the biggest coming out of all, maybe. <laughs> that's incredible. Maybe so. Hell yeah. I, I will be watching and cheering. <laughs> Thank you, Nancy. Thanks for being here today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Coming Out Chronicles. If you enjoyed it and you think it would be helpful for someone else, please share it with them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on social. I'd love to support you in the next chapter of your coming out story. I can help you know yourself, free yourself, and be yourself. Until next time, this is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching.